Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Thursday, July 15th, 2021. We are two days out from Disneyland's 66th birthday. And doesn't she look great for her age, Jim? (laughs) Yeah, she's carrying herself very well. Uh, Speaking of animation-related news, it's on the actual birth date that the Coco scene, the new scene, gets added to PhilharMagic, right? Oh, I forgot about that. I I just got my tickets for the Boo Bash, so I'll have to look at that. Did you really? I did, yeah. Wow. Isn't that Florida, though, or...? Um, Sorry, not the Boo Bash, the Oogie Boogie Bash. Uh, Does that sound more appropriate? More, more. Well, I, 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 what I know from bashing, is that the next time you're going back to the park, or do you see yourself and Katie going there anytime this summer? Well, they have the, you know, they have the residence, the California residence pass, which I think is you have to go three times before September twentieth or something. So okay, yeah, I'm not sure if I'll do that, but we we have uh, dinner reservations at Craftsman Bar, which is. Fabulous, Jim. Next time you come out, we got to go. Mm-hmm. So at least I'll have some sort of uh, some Disneyland adjacent activity. But you're you're full in it, right? You know, I'm hoping to get out uh, to L.A. sometime soon and uh, at least do Avengers Campus and that sort of thing. But right now, Florida is, is where I'll probably be headed first. Len wants to do a bunch of walk around the park things again. So I think we're, we're looking at like the middle of October, you know, just after the 50th stuff has started. And then I think just literally yesterday, Tammy, the nice lady behind Storybook Destinations, had decided we're going to do a a live event. And so that looks to be the middle of November, and we're kind of nailing the details into place on that one. I heard that they actually wanted more of a live event from you and I, Jim, so I get, you know what, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it, Jim. (laughs) If I have to go, so help me, I will. Well, that, that's, we will have to talk about this because, yes, so far it's just me and, well, maybe somebody else. So, all right. Anyway, speaking of storybook destinations, news portion of today's episode of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. This week, we, we actually got a big character in the news and... What was your take on the, the Pixar teaser trailer for Turning Red? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was hmm. so great. I was very excited. It was sort of the opposite of the Encanto trailer mm-hmm. where we were like, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, we're sort of excited about it in spite mm. of the teaser. Whereas <laughs> this, I think the teaser fully, fully encapsulates our excitement before seeing it. But what about you? Initially, I was kind of intrigued in that I saw the trailer and it's like, wow, that that looks like fun. And you you immediately get what the stakes are. And weren't you intrigued by the fact that for the first like five hours or so, nobody was actually talking about the character transforms into a giant red panda through a cloud of pink magic smoke. But they were talking about, did you see the diabetes port on the student in the background? Yes, yes. We got roped into a diabetes conversation. I mean, there's nobody better as as a diabetes ambassador than Jim Hill. 
to talk about this. But yeah, that was that was really interesting. It was, it was. And Pixar tries so hard to represent the real world, what's yes. going on today. And so the fact that that was just so casually tossed in there sort of shows the, the thought and the care that, you know, they put into to making these films. Yeah. It was also kind of cool to watch all the Canadian animation fans sort of puff up with pride. It's like, Toronto, our place, look, yeah. our city. Set in Toronto, set in the early 2000s, which I love, mm. which also mm. explains the Backstreet Boys. Well, uh, there you song, go. You know? The other thing I find fascinating about this is, face it, this is Dami Shi who who done this, who who did the Academy Award-winning short for, for Pixar for 2009, Bao. But the fact that she's gone from a teeny tiny itty-bitty you know, living dumpling character to now this giant, big, fluffy red panda who is also a emotionally overwrought 13-year-old girl, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's just a fun place to, to start off a movie at. And also, I want to tell people who, who liked Burrow, which is mm. the great Pixar short from last year, that, that Maddie Sheriffian, uh, who mm-hmm. directed that movie, is, I think, the production designer or head of story or something on Turning Red. So if you really? like that, you will like that. And she has said nothing but wonderful things about the production of Turning Red on social media. So, you know. And, and again, I think you were the one who pointed out that this is the very first real post-John Lasseter project, right? Or No, I, no the, the first post-John Lasseter project is the movie after Lightyear. That we can't ah. talk about yet. But I think it okay. is very interesting that Domi went mm-hmm. from that short in 2019. Mm-hmm. She yep. becomes a part of the brain trust mm-hmm. uh, already, you know. And because it's like Luca, mm-hmm. La Luna was 2011, I think I want to say. So it's like that is a long time between your short and your feature. Whereas mm-hmm. she went from her short right into her feature, which is really cool, I think, and speaks to her talent and point of view and everything else. She's been at Pixar since 2011 and a valued partner on both Inside Out and Toy Story 4. So she earned her shot. Yeah. As long as we're talking about things in the Pixar wheelhouse, we're now three episodes into Monsters at Work, which, again, you pointed out, not animated by Pixar, no. I'm blanking the name of the studio. Icon Creative Studio and Dwarf Animation. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So a real credit to the folks at Icon because around the launch of this new Disney Plus show, they've been rerunning Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University. And I know it, it does say a lot about how far we've come in regard to rendering and rigging and that sort of thing. But I honestly think the show a lot of times actually looks better than the original Monsters, Inc. Right. And I also, I have to admit, I I love Henry Winkler's work as Fritz, the head of MIFT. But also I've gotten a real fondness for Elena Ubach's Catherine Cutter, the crab character who's always talking about Tyler's co-workers who have died in horrible off-scene accidents. You know, the fact that, you know, you're here because, oh, that guy, yeah, burned up. All we found was a claw. I like the kind of suspicious guy with, the multiple eyes and the wings. I think he is, he's very funny. Yeah. I, I think they've, they've done a nice job with this one. And I don't know if you've seen the name of the one that's coming up fourth episode next week, the big Wabowski. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but you know, looking forward to that. And also, I guess if, if we're talking about Pixar, you wanted to point out 
that future boy Conan, uh, an early Miyazaki. This post-apocalyptic science fiction anime series debuted on NHK General April of 78. That's 43 years ago. Yeah, I think it was his first show. It was really? before it was before Lupin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why Jim puts it in the um Pixar wheelhouse is that mm-hmm. Enrico Castarosa, who we uh, yes. had on the show mm-hmm. a few mm-hmm. weeks ago and who directed Luca, has cited this as a major influence on the current Pixar favorite. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fun to finally watch that. And that's coming to us from G Kids, who we know yeah. always does the best. Uh, foreign animation releases. They just put uh, Ernest and Celestine out on uh, Blu-ray, which is mm-hmm. like such a wonderful film. I think we've talked mm-hmm. about that movie before, but yeah, 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 it's great. Speaking of Luca, I don't know if you saw this a couple of days ago, uh, out ahead of episode six of Loki, but there was a great piece of fan art that was done where it was Owen Wilson's character on a jet ski that looked very suspiciously like a Vespa. <laughs> He had on his back uh, little kid versions of Loki and Sylvie, that, we, but it was all done with great affection in the Luca style. Yes. And I, I want that as a poster or a T-shirt right now. <laughs> By the way, you saw episode six of Loki, right? Of course. Of course. And? I loved it. I am. Mm-hmm. So, it's my favorite MCU show and one of my favorite MCU things Mm-hmm. It's funny because somebody recirculated some Comic-Con art from a few years ago of him in the mm-hmm. 70s in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, that didn't quite happen. But obviously the cat is out of the bag and season two is on its way. So mm-hmm. maybe he can kind of ping pong around different time periods and, and things like that. So, yeah. I, what did you think? When you're in that last little bit of the show and... You know, you realize that, oh, dear Lord, you know, that, that you you have been chugging to this point and you are now at the top of the hill of the roller coaster. And it's like, all right, come back in two years. You right, know, and it's right. just sort of like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Enjoyed the ride. All I wanted was Owen Wilson and a jet ski. And I, I now have to wait for season two. Did you see that there's word out there that there's supposedly also a season three potentially in the works so that this is going to go on from what i understand it's the most popular thing that has ever been on disney plus so really i it does not surprise me yeah okay yeah okay well yeah. greatly enjoyed tom hiddleston's work in this you know likewise owen wilson you know happy to see this story continue but at the same time it's like oh no and if this is in fact kevin feige's plan you know if you think about the one-two punch of the past week or so, where you see that tail end scene from Black Widow and realize, oh, geez, now I gotta go watch Hawkeye. Or for that matter, you watch the tail end of Loki and realize, well, I now I have to watch 10 brand new Marvel, Marvel movies. Yeah. I do, I do worry that things are gonna start becoming inaccessibly difficult to untangle. But I am a little concerned about that myself, but at the same time, if you think about when the original Avengers ended and you got that weird little half smile from Thanos in the right. very, very end scene and realized that, oh my God, this is going to go on. I hear exactly what you're saying. I'm a little concerned about that. I have to watch this to watch that. And it doesn't necessarily sound like entertainment. That sounds kind of like homework, you know, but at the same time, it's just sort of like, all I wanted was Owen Wilson on a jet skate, you know? So... All right. Anyway, enough about that. 
We're just talking about G-Kids, and as long as we're giving G-Kids a shout-out, we should also mention the nice folks at Fathom who are taking part in... Is this year officially Leica's 15th anniversary? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, we, we talked about earlier that there's going to be new... Um, That's right. That's new right. New releases. The, 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 yeah, the, the Blu-rays. Edition. Yeah, Leica edition mm-hmm. Blu-rays. But mm-hmm. yeah, now, now two of our favorites are coming back from the theaters. Yeah, so we've got Coraline uh, is going to be out in August. Two showings on August 25th, uh, 3 o'clock and a 7 o'clock performance. Uh, and I should also point out that uh, this is Fathom Events par- partnering with Leica Studios, Shout Factory, and Park Circus. But the one in me personally, it's Paranorman that's headed back to theaters on November 16th. And again, same thing, at 3 o'clock matinee, 7 o'clock. I'm going to have to drive up to Massachusetts North Shore to find a theater to see this in because you lived in Connecticut. Did you ever actually get up like on a school field trip or that sort of thing to Salem, Massachusetts? No, I never had. I would love to. I I love witchy things. So, um, yeah. But see, the thing is, the Paranorman crew nailed it. If you get up to Salem, the thing they got right was the whole New England town where something famous happened 300 years ago and how you kind of coasted on that. That's your tourism base. Right. And that whole faded, gray, beaten-up neighborhood thing. I mean, that's real. They they sent the research team there, and they got photos of it. And in fact, I think I was doing the press interview with the production designer at one point and was mentioning that, you know the scene where Norman is walking through the neighborhood and seeing all of the ghosts? And this is the first time as an audience you realize what his true gift is or curse. And I was like, my God, that looks like the street that my aunt lives on. And the production designer was like, Send me your address. I could maybe confirm that, you know, because it was, I, you know, I mentioned, well, you know, that, that she lives in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Like, yes, we went there. We shot reference. <laughs> so my Aunt Loner, I love her, but she lives in kind of a sad neighborhood. So anyway, something happier. We, we also saw that Mark Cherry, the talented gentleman behind Hair Love. There's also a Hair Love series coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, okay. from our friends at Sony Animation Studios. But yeah. But he's also got another project going. Uh, this one over at Cartoon Network, about a dance studio, isn't it? Or? Yes, it's set in uh, modern day Chicago. It's called Batu. Not no relation to Galaxy's Edge, because <laughs> it is based on the French ballet term for beat. And okay. It follows two gifted dancers in Chicago whose mm-hmm. quote unquote free spirit and Im- individuality often leave them outsiders in the rigid world of mainstream dance. Mm-hmm. Which is something I think you and I can sympathize with, Jim, as we are outside the rigid world of mainstream podcasting. You know, we normally do these on things on Zoom. So I'm sitting down. He can't see the tutu. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, okay. But, uh, again, this seemed, it seems to be described as a musical comedy series, which I hate to say this, but Central Park you know, has really set the bar very high for that. In fact, we just saw that got two Emmy nominations for season one. Stanley Tucci for voice work. Likewise, Titus Burgess. Have they listened to Josh Gad's performance? I mean, I know he's a fan of the show. Hello, Mm. Ava. But come on. Mm. He is. He cracks me up in every single episode, Jim. All of his little asides and, Mm -hmm. oh, this is going to come back later and all that (laughs) stuff. It's just leaves me in stitches, Jim. And the sad part of it is I, I've reached the point in my life that, that when I look at the design for the character that 
Josh voices for the show, it's like, where does that guy get his clothes? I really want that shirt. It's a good look. Speaking of Emmy nominations, you didn't find them terribly exciting this time around, right? Or No, I didn't. Okay. I thought that I thought Central Park should have been in the best animated series category. I mean, mm-hmm. do we do we really need The Simpsons and South Park and Bob's Burgers again for the 100th year? Can we not put a different show in there? But, you know, I was very happy that Primal was nominated in the mm-hmm. Outstanding Animated Program section because I think you and I both love this show and uh, all the recognition it, it gets will help mi- having many, many more years of Primal. Now that's a show, Jim, that we are waiting for season two with like bated breath. Is it the Spark Shorts that just sent out the release? I realize that different shows can travel on different tracks, but did you, did you see the the Dino Hunter that sort of looks like a some more kid-friendly riff on Primal? No, I did not see this. Did this go out like today or something? Well, I want to say yesterday or thereabouts, some imagery came out, but it's it, it's somewhat more user-friendly, you know, a caveman riding on the back of a dinosaur. Okay. You know, again, a T-Rex, but it's just sort of like, it's like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to be the parent who's like, oh, let's watch the, <laughs> sit the kid down and watch the dino hunter and accidentally fire up a primal. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> and speaking of press releases that came in, what do we make of this Meghan Markle now developing an animated series for, for Netflix? I mean, she's working with a lot of great people, so um, it sounds like Rocket might be the one doing the animation who did Sherlock Gnomes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, it's, it sounds interesting. It's sort of a female empowerment story, but you know, you have veterans from Tangled and uh, and DC Superhero Girls and The Loud House all working mm-hmm. on it. So I think. It'll be it'll be fun. It's described as a family series that centers on the adventures of a twelve year old girl who mm-hmm. is inspired by a variety of influential women from history. So I imagine historical figures will come into the show um, and kind of help her along her journey. Not unlike uh, Messieurs Bill and Ted. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's why that's why I sort of. <laughs> Okay. Like, yeah. All right. I was going to go Doc McStuffins myself, but okay. Get her right. that. No, that's good. That's good. Well, and as long as we're talking about Netflix, we, we of course have to talk about the movie that you and I, that they were nice enough to slide us a screener on the Troll Hunters Rise of the Titans. Drew and I are huge Guillermo del Toro fans, and we've actually been on the Troll Hunters train since August or September of 2009, that first D23. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was when he was announcing his his animation shingle with Disney. The, yep. What is it? Dis- Disney Double Dare You? Yep. Or? Yep. All uh, the way back then. And the show mm-hmm. didn't premiere until 2016. So <sighs> we have been on this for a long time, Jim. We've been on the, the Troll Hunter bandwagon. But that, that's nothing compared to Dan and Kevin, right? The Hagmans? Yes. Who have been yes. front and center. Guillermo personally recruited them for this project, right? Yeah. They were on the, They were on initially for the, you know, the first run of Trollhunters episodes. They came back for this movie, and they've done some amazing stuff in the Lego universe and are working on a Star Trek show. So we get on, into all of it, right? Yep, hang in there, folks. If you, right after this commercial, we're going to come back and we, we get to sit down and talk with the Hagmans about doing this film and likewise all the other stuff they've been working on. So hang in there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You've actually watched a lot of the Trollhunter episodes, right? Over the course of the show. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen every episode, Jim. Listen, I went to okay. several Targets looking for toys when those came out. I mean, I... I'm, really? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Didn't they have a Blinky, the character that Kelsey Grammer voiced? They had a Blinky. They had a, they had a bunch of Funko Pops that I picked mm-hmm. up. The lack of merchandise was very frustrating, so I had to I had to go search it out. Netflix is only just now sort of doing the merch thing, but even then it's sort of carefully targeted merch aimed at at moneyed folks. And speaking of which, I missed my window for my Wish Dragon pin. I have to double back and and see if they have any of those prints left for Wish Dragon. I I think at this point I can't get the autographed one, but the prints were amazing. Yeah. That's Studio Nucleus. um, Uh, Gallery Nucleus in Alhambra, which um, we love them. They they put on the great uh, event for Onward that I got to be a part of and Mm -hmm. uh, host. And yeah, I I love them. They are just Mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. So yeah, go go pick it up. I'm sure there's prints left, Jim. For you, okay. anything. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I'll, I'll reach out because there's one I particularly love. But at the same time, doubling back to the Troll Hunters, Troll Hunters actually got an art of book. And when you look at the, the craft and the thought and the design of sketching out this incredibly vivid world, which anybody who's a Guillermo de Toro fan knows, that's just part and parcel of what this guy does. My first question is, how, how early did you know that this thing was going to wrap up with a giant action-packed blockbuster film well i mean come on this was how many years ago when we started troll hunters and you know we were told we signed a deal to do 52 episodes right that's that like, seemed that's like nuts. We, that seemed like forever like that seemed like 52 episodes is a long long time right that's nuts that's nuts you know like and i remember never, yeah i remember you know, around it was around episode 48 or so we get this word that Guillermo's like it's a trilogy and we're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, but at the same time, though, we were like, I remember around 52, it was like, we love these characters. And we're like, these characters are so fantastic. And I remember like, we, you know, we had, we had some other things that we had to do. So we, had, we stepped off after the 52. But I remember thinking, I would love to go back to the Jim Lake Jr. story. You know, I, he, he's such a great character. And I know he had gone through all these transformations, but it was, it was, you know, it wasn't until, when was it? It was much later. It was around Wizards, beginning of Wizards, I believe they go, this, this thing's, there's, there's going to be something bigger. And Kevin and I got so excited. It, it was, it felt fantastic to get the old gang back together with 
Guillermo and Guggenheim. And it was great to have those yeah. conversations of, you know, what an opportunity to be able to close out a character and, and close out a series. Yeah. When does that ever happen? I mean, for, for, for writers for TV, you know, you, ne- you, you never get to write an ending. I mean, it's so rare. And, and to let be it be able a movie. Do, and to let that be a movie and to really just find that ending. And, and endings are really hard to do right, right? Like the, a lot, most movies, endings suck. They, they don't, you know, they don't land. This, this one, for me, like my favorite thing about this movie is the ending. The very end is just like, it gets me. Yeah, I mean, we can't, we have, we have very strict spoiler guidelines that were outlined uh, in a very- Oh yeah, is this, co- is this coming out before? It'll be the week of, so we don't want to spoil anything. Okay, okay, we can't spoil anything, okay. But you do take big chances and do big dramatic things that if you tried to do that on the Disney Channel, would never get past the, you know, idea phase. So were there any sort of guidelines you guys were sticking to in terms of things being too intense or, you know, because, you know, there's, I think this, this movie goes some unexpected places. Good. I mean, what's great is Guillermo always wears his heart on his sleeve. And this is a, this whole series is a series that wears its heart on its sleeve. And when you have these big characters and you have these great stakes, you know, they're not all going to make it out. And I think that's part of the greater journey and adventure of Jim Lake Jr. That, you know, in his adventure, as well as, you know, a young man growing into a man in life, they're going to lose allies, you know, or they may even risk their own life, you know. And so I don't want to spoil anything, but it's going to change the character. That's what the adventure does. I'm like walking on eggshells. <laughs> I don't know. For me, the fact that, again, you have three shows worth of characters, you know, and and again, just the juggling of the cast, making sure everybody gets their moment in the spotlights, and it's done not gratuitously, it's service of story. I mean, this is a lot of plates to spin, and and then on the scale of the action scenes and that sort of thing, I mean, this must have been crazy to have to script and board. I remember when we started this, when I when I would watch those Marvel movies, you know, where it was the Avenger films, and they're all, I'm like, oh, I would never enjoy writing that. Like, that seems like such a head, you know, and, th- and then, of course, here comes our finale, and it's going to be pretty much uh, uh, an Avengers, all the characters, and, like, we had to service so many characters that we loved, and it's and the hardest thing is you just don't have enough time, you know, you're stuck. I don't know what the runtime is, but, you yeah, know, this is, this is not a three-hour movie, you know. So. Yeah, there was characters on the sidelines. We're like, can we get this character in? We're like, no, yeah. we just don't have the time. But you know, but that that's a testament to Guillermo. You know, there's so many great characters throughout the series that it's fun to see them. And, and I think that was the fun too that we learned from the Avengers. It's it's great to see Thor mashed up with Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's seeing you know the characters from Three Below interact with wizards and seeing them interact with the characters from Tales of Arcadia. So it, it was a great time. It was, it was a lot of fun to write. Every scene was a joy. Well, Jim and I were talking earlier uh, before you guys logged on about how, you know, this was one of two projects that Guillermo and team was working on uh, at the time. I forget who, maybe Rodrigo was talking about it on Twitter one day that there was going to be a, a Pacific Rim show, but this one kind of got the go ahead. But you guys finally got some kaiju <laughs> into this. In the <laughs> yeah, finale. Yeah. So it's all coming <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. Was that was that always a, a, an idea that to bring these giant sort of elemental beasts 
in. Well, that that's all Guillermo. And and that, you know, as a writer, you know, that also creatively was a challenge is how do you, you know, we've we've done when in Jago, we had ninjas battling giants, you know, it's so yeah, difficult. Yeah, we had just how- finished we had just finished a season of the ninja battling titans or or not titans yeah. but goliaths i think we called them and we're like oh here we go again how do we here we go again. you know i think Guillermo ha- says if you're going to if you're going to rip somebody off rip yourself off so i think it's fantastic yeah. but how, how do you how do you do that how do you okay we know there's going to be the spectacle we know we can write the action and oh my you know this is going to be just awesome but then how do you how do you create the character depth how do you make sure that there's some human drama there so it's not just the awesome visuals, but there's great character moments. So. Well, but but at the same time, I mean, you guys are uh, crazy, crazy, you know, battle scenes and great character moments. And it, it's one thing to be doing then, but at the same time, you guys just signed the deal for Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah. So it's like you're landing one jumbo jet as you're getting another one off the ground. Yeah. I mean, well, oh, but they're, I different, mean I... they're different sandboxes. It's like space. We had we had never really done space. And so we're like, oh, space. Like we've been we're mean, massive my... like Trek and yeah, we're Flash huge, Gordon. We're, yeah, I was going to say we're huge Trek fans. And also when we were little, the Flash Gordon movie came out, which I know not everyone loves. That is like dear to our heart. I mean, oh, massive adventures, you know, spikes coming out of arenas, Hawkmen, like this. It's, yeah, it's, I'm like, it doesn't get any better, right? Yeah, sticking yeah. your hand, you know, in Troll Hunters, you know, the they do this in a lot of stories, but sticking your hand in a dark hole to yeah. see if you're going to live or not, you know, Tot- to get that's total Flash Gordon. Yeah, to- totally Flash Gordon or Dune, right? Like, the, yeah, we're always just ripping off our favorite science fiction. You know? Well, was you know. Did the kind of pressure of wrapping up this beloved three beloved series with this movie kind of prepare you at all for the kind of scrutiny of taking on something like Star Trek? Because I imagine that, you know, that that vocal and that passionate a fan base would be something that you think about. That's very. Yeah. The Star Trek fan base. It's very intimidating to make sure that that we don't piss people off, you know, Um, I think it's like but I would say. Yeah, I, I, I just, I'm not too worried about. I, I would. Just, it's mostly focusing on our love of these characters, you know, and making sure that if you love them and you, and then you protect them, and then if people attack you, you're like, I don't care. I love these characters, you know. Yes. It's like, like I, yeah, it, Troll Hunters. I loved, you know, when we were writing those 52 episodes. I would, I would watch early animatics, and I'd have tears in my eyes of when Jim was saving Claire. And Claire discovers that he's a troll hunter for the first time. And there's these moments that really, really, you know, and for Prodigy, for Star Trek, what I love is, you know, troll hunters, uh, that's Guillermo's baby. He created it. You know, we were, we're there working with Mark Guggenheim and, and, you know, you're sharing the sandbox with all these other amazing people. This is like Prodigy is one of the first times where this is our baby that we get to. And, and I, I, you know, I know this is not a prodigy um, interview, but I just can't wait. I can't wait for to, for yeah, people can't to see spoil what we're it, doing. Yeah, can't spoil it, but I, it, I can't. It's wait. all it's all it's, of our love of space and Star Trek put into one show. I love that. Well, Jim and I were also talking about you know how how visually sophisticated the Troll Hunters movie looks because correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like a little bit more money for simulation, a little bit more money for hair all these kind of things. Was that was that also kind of a conceit going into it that it was going to kind of look bigger too? Well, I 
I don't know about the money, but I mean, in animation, every iteration, you know, there's so many technology advances. And I think you look at any animated show and the first season, when you're making, when you're watching it, you're like, this looks great. But then you watch season two, you're like, this looks even better. Season three looks even better. And so, especially because when you have the animators who know these characters now and these, um, you know, affect uh, animation houses, it, the more these characters come alive, the more it feels you know, and and also as a movie, you want you want to go even bigger. You want to go. How do we make this into a movie? How do yeah. we make give it that, that theatrical experience? And I think we're so fortunate with Troll Hunters and all the other um, the, the trilogy of shows. We're we're now at a place where we're blurring the line between animated television shows and animated features, right? And so when we were told they, remember- we got to do a feature now, we're like. Well, how are we gonna? How do we go bigger? Like we we went as big as we could with Troll Hunters, yeah. you know. Yeah, we didn't hold back. Speaking of bigger, I I have to say Kelsey Grammer's voice work in this as Blinky it, it is the most Kelsey Grammer performance I've I've ever heard. You know, just sort of like you know, you look back over the the body of this guy's career, and he, he he's always been dramatic, he's always been florid. But how did you get this level of performance out of him? He's great. Yeah. I remember anytime like Guillermo would say, anytime there's a tricky piece of exposition to be said, they're like have Kelsey say it. Like he just said, everything he says just sounds fantastic. Yeah. So he was probably one of the most fun characters to write for mm-hmm. in the whole series. And I remember got, early I, on. I, I, yeah, I remember early on, he just nailed the character. It was just, you know, it took very little time to find that character. He just got it. And it was just, well, speaking of what you were just talking about, your love of Flash Gordon. So who brought Brian Blessed in? That was us. That was that us. That was us. We were like, that was. <laughs> We should get, I'm like, we got to get someone like Brian Blessed or Brian. <laughs> and that was literally, we wanted, yeah, we were, we were there. And I remember at that moment, we were trying to figure out the voice and our love of Flash Gordon, we said, we must get Brian in there. And I remember um, Brooke Chalmers was recording and he's like, the dude is just like, he's just as young as ever. I swear, Brian, and, and we had heard a fun fact where he did the original Tarzan yodel and like some just, you know. His pipes are great. His, his, I love Brian. I love that we were able to get him into the Troll Hunters world. Well, is there any any particular aspect, obviously without spoiling anything, that you are like so excited about um, people seeing who have gone on this? God, I don't know when did when did the first season of Troll Hunters premiere? It feels like fifteen years ago, but I you know it's an amazing journey. Um, it's not that I, we just had our ten year for an, we just had our ten year anniversary for Ninjago. So this has to have been, yeah, it had, it's ago. under ten years. It's that I'm a I'm a I might tip my hat to all the other producers of all Dream the shows Works. like DreamWorks. I mean, with all the trilogy of shows that they've unveiled so quickly and trilogy and a movie, quality. yeah. No, we're excited for again the I think the ending. I think the uh, you know Guillermo had this beautiful ending very early on, and you know our goal was to write to, toward that. And I think, um, you know, I, yeah. I remember I, I actually haven't seen the, I haven't seen the ending in the final cut form because I wanted to save it till like it comes out and I, and I view it. I'm like, I wanted, like I saw some early animatics, so I know, but like, I didn't see any fi- finalized animation. They, they showed it. They go, Hey, do you want to look at it? I said, no, I, I gotta, I gotta experience it. Cause I think it, it's emotional for us to be there from the beginning and then to see it end, you know? I, that's that's what makes a story 
you know, sit with you and never leave you, right? When you're growing up, you see that, um, that moment in a story that just breaks your heart, you know, and you don't expect it. And you're, you know, and you're suddenly crying in a movie that you, you weren't expecting. You went to see adventure or whatever. Right. And we really wanted troll hunters in this ending to really resonate with people, you know, to feel right, to be a very satisfying of a conclusion that this is the end. Um, but just to go straight for the heart. And so that people will always look back at this, at this, you know, trilogy is, you know, part of their childhood, you know, or their, uh, their, uh, mid to late thirties as well. Yeah. Uh, we also went on this journey with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it is, honestly, like, you know, we, we, we write for ourselves, right. You know, and if it, if, it, if I'm thrilled by this action scene, if I'm laughing at this joke, or if I'm being moved to tears, I'm like, yes, like this is working. And that's what with Troll Hunters or with Star Trek Prodigy, we're always, you know, yes, we're writing something to introduce kids to Star Trek, let's say, or to Troll Hunters. But like, I, when people always ask like, well, who's your audience? I'm like, everyone. Like that is who I want. That's who I want. Uh, can you talk about working with Guillermo a little bit? Because he's obviously such an animation fan. I remember going to his, you know, the exhibit here and he had original Ivan Earl, you know, pieces on the wall mm. and stuff like that. And obviously Troll Hunters began as a project at Disney when he was going to have a, you know, his own animated shingle. So could you talk a little bit about what, what it's like working with him, his kind of enthusiasm for animation and, and all of that? I love Guillermo. I mean, I, I love a man who, who, thinks up fantastic creatures and wears his heart on his sleeve. And I'm like, that's spectacle and that's emotion. And you put those things together, you know, and that's what Troll Hunters is. You know, crazy ass creatures and and some and and some great drama. Uh, emotional drama. And I love um, people I like people like he's so kind, but he's also like, you know, only the best is good enough. And that's totally our, our mandate as well, you know? And so we're always, and he's always hard on things to make sure things are the very best that they can be. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked a moment or two ago about uh, writing for obviously Kelsey and Brian. So just to pivot to Prodigy, what's it like to write for Kate Mulgrew? Again, another oh great actress, a wonderful, you know, and a great voice. Oh my goodness. She's she fantastic. Is the best yeah. thing is her in the recording studio. Like she, she's able, she's the fastest person because she knows the voice so well. She's like, boom, 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 boom. She's like, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's really, it, it's very little coaching with her of how, how she should deliver a line. Like she just gets it. And she's just, she's so you know what? amazing. She just, and it was, it, it was very intimidating at first, but like the first moment we met her, she puts you at ease. You know, oh, her, yeah. first line to us she, is, her first line to us is, what are we drinking, boys? And I'm like, oh, I just love yeah. this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. You love her right away. Yeah. And she's such a huge supporter. Yeah. I love that. Well, I, I remember, you know, I, I forget where in the kind of lifespan of the show, but Guillermo was sort of teasing that there were connections to other things that he had done or, you know, some kind of, you know, Guillermo del Toro macro verse um can you can you speak to that and maybe point out any kind of easter eggs that maybe people have missed along the way mm. Mm. oh my gosh <laughs> i mean gun, gun robot was always 
Gun Robot was always an homage to um, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. But that was us, right? Weren't we kind of? Yeah, but we were we were kind of making fun. We were taking the piss out of giant robots, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. We love <laughs> a giant robot with a heart of gold, you know. But they, but he's still yet just a giant gun, you know. He's a hired gun. Yeah. Celebration of giant robots, while also there was a there was a lot of just little jokes in the um, in the writers' room that you know we all found ways to sneak them in, and it was so much fun. Like like the gun robot uh, voicemail, and um, God, it was wasn't there a trailer? Of the house, what was the house one, Kevin? That part of the uh, the what? Uh, I don't know. There was like an evil house movie. I don't know. It, it was fun. House. it was a lot of fun. I I miss I miss that writers' room. Ashley Bradley and uh, Aaron Walke and Chad Quant and Lila. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was fantastic. Without, again, without giving anything away, there is a possibility for further troll hunting adventures. Should Guillermo call you in five years and say, we got a, we got a green light for another 52. <laughs> you guys in or are you sitting this one out? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this- this is the ending. I, this, in my mind, you know, it's so beautiful. There's I, always, there's know, always it, ways. It, there's always ways to bring it back. There's, there, yes, it's true. I would say it's true. But I have to, I have to say, as a writer, it, one of the greatest joys I, I find is being able to go into a world of trolls and teenagers in a small town, and then to suddenly jump onto a ship with hologram Janeway and a bunch of alien kids. I, it, it's so enjoyable to be able to, or write, you know, write a movie of, of scary stories to tell in the dark or a Lego movie, whatever. They're all, it's just so enjoyable to be able to switch gears, you know, um, and to explore these different sandboxes. Right. I, for me, I, again, I, I guess the thing that intrigues me is that in the first five minutes, you do the end of every big action film, you know, a summer blockbuster. You, you, you wreck a train in Times Square and that's, that's where you start, you know, just. Yeah. yeah well, it's a movie, right? It's, we, we were talking about this. This is the movie version. We're like, well, we got to start big. And, and, and for us, you know, we love the Indiana Jones movies, serialized adventure movies. You always got to start. James Bond. That's what makes James Bond movies fantastic. James Bond. You're like, what's the first action set piece? And it's fantastic. And it pulls you right into. That's all the exposition. And you're sold. You're you're like, (laughs) I'm ready. Take me me away. And then you can do your exposition, you know, and you get to start to enjoy the characters a little bit. And it's sort of like this little, don't worry, folks. This is an adventure film. There's going to be adventure here, you know. <laughs> well, I, having worked with Guillermo for so long and on all these different projects, do you ever go, uh, so Guillermo, what's going on with that Haunted Mansion movie? You know, I think the bros could do it. Oh, we have said that. We have said that. I think years ago, we that were I was like, with Scary Stories. He's like, no, I like Scary. I want you guys on Scary Stories. Yeah, I, like, I think they, I think he already had a writer or something on that, and but he brought us on board of scary stories. Um, but yeah, he's I, I love working with that man. He's great. It, it's again, it's like Dan was saying, his heart's on his sleeve. I think a lot, a lot of people that I've come across in Hollywood, they don't focus on the heart. They're focusing on the spectacle or the star power or the this or that. It's just so fleeting, you know, and and and. You know, heart always comes first. 
and then the special effects or the this or that well you know jim and i were also big fans of crudes too and loved mm-hmm. how how that came out uh thank you talk thank about you. what that that experience was like and you know he obviously as nerds jim and i are like what 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 became of the chris sanders version you know like and he obviously has a, <laughs> he has a story you know garbo garbo actually part of that story as well of how we got there so so well garbo so we were busy on working on troll hunters and scary stories and then katzenberg called up and wanted to know if we would take a look at a cut of crews or to, to help out or something and we were like, I'm sorry, we're too busy. We're we're putting all of our effort on Guillermo's, you know. Yeah, it's babies. so hard like, to do a 52 episode show and then a movie on the side, much less, hey, look at this other movie and try to fix it. We're like, ah. and so we said, so we said no because we just didn't have the time. And then Katzenberg called up Guillermo, and he's like, can I borrow the Hageman for two weeks? And oh, can I borrow the Hagemans for three weeks? And Guillermo says, you can have them for two weeks. And so all of a sudden we're like, so we were so we like we're being, we, we were like horse traded or something. And so yeah. what, what are we going to say? We, yeah, we can't. And so we went in there just simply thinking this will just be a two week thing. We'll give her ideas. And then it kind of got us pregnant when we're like, we really, really like this idea of this, these, you know, rival families, so to speak. Crude's meeting another family. And then uh, once we were pregnant, we're like, okay, okay. It's, you know, this is a series that, it has heart it's about a family you know there's there's deep heart in it and it works fantastic world yeah can i share one little tidbit too there was uh an early time when dan and i were talking about uh this family that the crudes are going to meet and we're like well what's their names like crudes like do they all have really just weird crude names and uh i come back into the office i go dan i know the name of this family and my and Dan's like no Kev last night I figured out the name of this family and so we're like all right we're both equally excited about our own ideas we're like okay what is it you know and I go the Bettermans and he's like that's exactly the name that he thought of. yeah and so honestly just, we're like well, well, I you think, know, we're Hagemans well, I think Hageman. our last name is Hageman. Like, they're the Bettermans you know it's perfect it's like <laughs> I know we're we're over a little bit, so I just wanted to thank you guys for taking the time to chat with us. And it's so fun to have gone on this, you know, troll hunter's journey from the beginning mm-hmm. and, and to see it wrap up so so beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's really, mm-hmm. really wonderful. So absolutely. Yeah. You guys should be very well, thank proud. you guys. I'm excited to watch watch it too. So no, we look forward to we'll have to do this again once uh, Star Trek Project comes out because I can't wait. Are you guys Trek fans? Are you guys Trek fans at all or, or yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I really look forward. We got to have a conversation about that once you've seen it. All right. Well, great, guys. Well, thank you so much for chatting. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks again to the the nice folks at DreamWorks for allowing us to talk with the Hagmans. How excited are we now about getting to see Star Trek Prodigy? Oh, so excited. Especially, I mean, I was excited before, but now I'm really excited. Yeah. I mean, they really have done it all. I mean, they've They've done features, they've done TV, they've worked on the Lego property, they've worked on, you know, the Crudes property. It's really, uh, it's an amazing kind of run that they've had. They seem to want to talk to us again when the Star Trek thing gets going, and I'd love to talk with them about, they were at the treatment for the Lego movie and the treatment for the Hotel Transylvania, 
And I'd love to, you know, because Hotel Transylvania went through so many right. different iterations. I mean, I still, to this day, the 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 pitch for the film where Dracula had a, a hotel and Frankenstein had a hotel and, and they fought for guests. And it's like, really? Really? That was going to be the movie? I mean, kids love businesses fighting with each other. I mean, <laughs> that's really compelling <laughs> to little kids. That just reminds me of the jokes from when the Phantom Menace came out, because of course, you know, that's what you want to see <laughs> when you right. go into trade a wars. Yeah, trade yeah. wars. Oh yes, okay. You know, ooh, <laughs> come on, let's get some popcorn and soda and go see that. So, yes, that's a very interesting point. Uh, but on the other hand, I have to say that when it comes to behind the scenes stuff, but stuff that, that, that would seem to be dry and and you manage with the uh light diffuse podcast when you bring in these folks who are who actually work in the film the writers the, the the directors you get them to tell so many amazing really fun compelling stories yeah i mean it becomes kind of a, a game of telephone where mm-hmm. you know oh have you talked to so-and-so let me put you in mm-hmm. touch you know and, and mm-hmm. that really helps go a long way in terms of people trusting us and and they also know that we're such huge fans and, and are mm-hmm. so uh, reverential to the to the franchise and, and love it so much. So it helps okay. us get some good stuff. So We're now in the depth of summer blockbuster season. Who, who have we got coming up now? Speaking of Guillermo del Toro, God, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm fully in Guillermo del Toro world, but we talked to Dan Lawson, who is a brilliant cinematographer who shot so many of Guillermo's films. Um, and we uh, are finishing up our interview with him. Mm-hmm. And then we've got David Leach, who co-directed the first John Wick and who directed these little oh. art house movies like Deadpool 2 and Hobbs oh. and Shaw. So we're talking to him. and uh, You are killing me. Yeah, oh my so God. We, got, we got some good stuff coming up. So, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah, we, we, we got it. And, and please listen to the, the Brian De Palma interview if you haven't done that. It was really special. So, yeah. Over on our side, we, we got some stuff, too. We got Disney Dish with Lentesta early this week. Aaron and I recorded a brand new Marvelous Disney where we had to talk about Black Widow. We had to talk about Loki. It's the longest show we've ever done. So bring a pillow, bring a blanket. You're going to be there for a while. I want to thank you again for listening. Drew and I will will be back soon with a, a brand new show.